we are going to be over, starting over in Ephesians chapter 4. How many people saw the Facebook review I gave you up there last night and then again this morning? Appreciate all three of you. Really do. No, four. We got four people. That can... All right. <laughs> well, we keep, we'll keep trying to put them on up there. Hopefully more people will. will get, if, if you have to. I mean, I don't know if Facebook is, uh, is shadowing us on, on any of y'all. I don't think we're too... I don't think we're big enough for them to pay attention to us. But if they did, you can just go up there to the, to the church page itself and find it. But we've been looking at the fivefold ministry. And last week we were looking at the role of the pastor and what a good shepherd was, what, he, what he's supposed to be, what attitudes are necessary. In that right now we're going to take a look at the purpose of a pastor. And you may think, well, it's... You are a pastor. This is probably your more fun one to teach on. And it's actually not. The prophet was my most fun one. I don't expect anything is going to come close to that. Because there's a couple of reasons for it. One, God told me to go there to it for you. And whenever he does that, there's extra stuff for me to see. And that's why I told you. I stopped at five weeks. I could have kept going. I had at least another five weeks in me without even doing any more study than what I had already done. But... We needed to move on and go on into this. And so today we're going to take a look at what is the purpose of the ministry of a pastor. We looked at some, we looked at some of the aspects of the calling of the pastor, how that differed from the calling of a prophet. And people need to understand that because some people are called into pastoral or evangelical or, um, uh, teacher, apostle. They're called there the way that we saw the, the prophet called and they don't understand the difference. So if you missed that, that was last week. There, it's important that people understand that a prophet is not called the same way a pastor, evangelist, teacher, apostle are. And if you follow the rules of how a prophet is called and become a pastor, you are in trouble. Serious trouble. Don't do it. And there's, so anyway, we spent time on that last week. We're not going to spend time on it again here. But we want to take a look at this. What are the God assignments, responsibilities, and duties of the role of the pastor? And how does that compare to what society expects? So I wrote down some things, what society expects the pastor to do, and wrote down some things that God is going to do. What we're going to do today is we're going to spend time in all, everybody say all, all, all of the passages in the Bible that tell a pastor what he's supposed to do. We're going to compare what the Bible told a pastor to do to what you expect your pastor to do or what society expects their pastor to do and look at the difference because there is a difference and what will happen if we don't close that gap. Also, how am I supposed to receive from a pastor? It probably doesn't just happen or there'd be more mature Christians. How many of you know that? No, uh, that's true. If all you had to do was get in church and have a pastor get up and you would mature, more people in the body of Christ would be mature than are. There has to be something on our part to receive from the pastor. And so we want to go over some of the things with that. What does the enemy do to get pastors to not do what God assigned them? We're going to look at some reasons for, for why that is. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He's writing this to the Ephesians. He is telling them, I want you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Right now, he is not dealing with the fivefold. He's dealing with the church. 
How many people make up the church? How many people here make up the church? All right, we got a few more on that. That's good. If you make up the church, apparently there's a calling on your life. How many of y'all knew that? And you are supposed to have a walk worthy of the calling. If you don't have a walk worthy of the calling, you can tell this is, that's not good. I have a calling, but my walk needs to be in line with it. So if you need motivation, there it is. God gave me a calling. I need to have a walk worthy of that calling. But don't worry, there's help. He gave us some help. Now in verse 2, it says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. That's just not, not, that's not just a tack on. He says you need to have a walk worthy of your calling, and that walk needs to have these attitudes. With all lowliness and gentleness, don't be thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, is another way the Bible puts it. You need to be gentle. How many of y'all know some people who could learn that lesson? Yeah. Then everybody says, so could I. Because <laughs> I could be more gentle than I am. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering. Anybody here enjoy long-suffering? You know what long-suffering is, right? Yes. Suffering long. That's a good definition. That's suffering for a long period of time. How long is long-suffering? For some people, long-suffering is 10 minutes. That's long-suffering. For some people, they go a full hour. I think the Bible is looking at something longer than that. <laughs> he wants us to get into some long suffering. You gotta, you gotta be there. You gotta be able to suffer long. Bearing with one another in love. Now that's where a lot of the long suffering goes and bearing with other people. How many of you have some people in your life that you have a hard time bearing with? Bearing with one another in love. He's not writing to the fivefold yet. He's talking to the church. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Not a whole lot of peace going on, is there? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, we're not going to spend time on these verses here today. But some people would read that and they think, well, we all just need to get along. And yet we just finished 10 weeks looking at the book of Jude, the epistle of Jude on Wednesday nights. And his theme is contend for the faith. Don't just swallow anything. You got some people come in that are, that are false brethren. You stand up to them. You don't let that kind of stuff go on. I'm going to tell you how to recognize them. When you recognize them, you get them out. See, that doesn't seem the same idea that some people have that we all just need to get along. I'll get along with all kinds of people. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with them. Doesn't mean I'm going to compromise with them. Back when I was in the NFL, I could get along with a Dallas Cowboy fan. I could get along with them. I didn't necessarily like them. <laughs> no, I liked them. That was, we were fine. I had good conversation with Dallas Cowboy fans, New York Giant fans, even, get this, Washington Redkins fans. Can you believe that? Yep. I could probably, it was never tested. It was never tested, but I could probably have a good conversation with a New England fan. I don't know, but it could, it could happen. Never ran into one, but that's okay. 
You see, you don't have to agree with everything, but you can still get along. But if I find people that are leading other people astray, I'm not getting along anymore. I'm going to call that out because you're leading other people astray. If you want to go astray, that's for you to do. Lead yourself astray. If you don't want to listen to anybody, don't listen. But don't be taking other people with you. Those kind of things we, we contend for. Look at verse, verse um, 7 again. But to each one of us, but to each one of how many how many here is in each one? That's me, right? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the part of it where he's talking about gifts. There's a gift that is given to everyone who has a calling, and there's also ministry gifts that are given. According to the gift that God gave you, He gave you the grace to walk in that gift. Understand this. If you try and walk in a gift that He did not grace you for, you are in trouble. Because without the grace, the gift will wear you down. Wear you down. Do not step into a gift that God did not give you the grace for. But if He gave you the grace for it, you better get in it. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? That he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He went down into hell, in case you're not reading that or understanding that. How did Jesus Christ go down into hell? People have a hard time with that. How could he go down to hell? And, and do that. Sometimes people think, well, how did he get down to hell and then Satan could just do whatever he wants to him? Hell is not Satan's domain. He doesn't live in hell. He doesn't operate hell. He's not there. In fact, we have more instances of him being in heaven and zero instances of him being in hell. You know that? How many times do we find in the Word of God that he's in heaven? Accusing people, causing a ruckus, trying to anyway. No, that's not his base of operations. That's what God prepared for the devil and his angels, is what what it's talking about. Now, of course, hell in the center of the earth, the devil won't make it there. He's going to go to a lake of fire. That's the eternal hell. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The purpose of the fivefold is given is for the saints to be equipped. That's what needs to happen. The fivefold is there so that the saints are equipped. If the fivefold are not operating, then the saints aren't going to be equipped. If you're not equipped, you're going to have a hard time doing what you're supposed to be doing. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints. For the edifying of the body of Christ. If the saints aren't equipped, if the saints aren't doing the work of the ministry, then the body of Christ is not being edified. And that's a problem. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. We haven't gotten there yet. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of, the, of deceitful plotting. So the, part of the purpose of the fivefold ministry is that we would grow up. 
that we won't be moved around by all sorts of stuff. Whatever comes along, well, we just go after this. And whatever new thing comes over here, well, we just go after this. No, there's some stability to us. We're not easily moved. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So there needs to be a growing up process so that we're not tossed about. Now it talks about here. Read that again. No longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. The picture I always get of this is how many people have been out in the ocean and the waves are crashing around. How many have ever been, been moved by a wave? We've been moved. I've been moved by some waves. Those waves come in with some power. Now, sometimes you go out there and it's just little tiny bitty waves and they don't have much going on. And sometimes there are big, big waves and they can move us along a whole lot more. So um, we have to, uh, as we get bigger, you know, we can withstand that. Uh, as I, When I was little, some of the, the waves, they would knock me all over the place. And as I grew up, you know, they weren't knocking me around as much. We were down in the, the shore this summer and my granddaughter, she just loves being out in the water. You all know that. But she just loves being out in the waves. And she was bigger this year than last year. So being bigger, she could handle more stuff. And, and she wanted to handle it. <laughs> so she wanted to get out there with the waves. Well, you didn't have to be quite as delicate whether be, as you were before because she can withstand some of the stuff with the waves. And a couple of them, you know, they knocked her down or got her under the water and she'd get right back up and let's go get some more. <laughs> that may not have been the case when they were littler. But you see, as you grow up, you're able to withstand some stuff. And that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to grow up and be able to withstand some stuff. That you're not just falling for whatever comes that way. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this is the, where the growth comes from. We need to press in for this to have, have the growth. So we've been looking at the five-fold ministry because if I'm not getting what the five-fold ministry has to offer me, then I am not going to grow to the point that I should grow and definitely need to grow in order to operate in the calling that God has for me that he's also given me the grace for. Now he says here, speaking the truth in love, there's a whole lot of people who like to speak the truth, but they leave out the last part. Just because you spoke the truth didn't mean you did it in love. And just because you were gentle didn't mean you did it in love either. Sometimes you got to be a little firmer. But let's go over here to the scripture. We looked at this before, but I want you to see this just before we get into all the other scriptures. John 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And as we said to you last week, the word there for love is not the same. Jesus said to him, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. That's not quite the same kind of love that he's asking for. But he went on, he said, he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? He was not grieved because he said to him three times. He was grieved because the third time he changed it. And he said, Peter, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly kindness kind of a love, not the agape God kind of love. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Notice this is what he leaves him on. Follow me. It's important for you to know that. There are three things he told Peter to do. And Peter was called into the role of an apostle, which also an apostle has the anointing of a pastor. But a pastor does not have the anointing of an apostle. Got to keep that straight. A pastor is not an apostle. But an apostle is going to pastor wherever he goes for a short period of time and then move on to the next spot. So the anointing of the pastor must be on the apostle. And Peter was called in to be an, apost- uh, an apostle, but he was also, also knew he was called into the pastoral role too, and he served as a pastor in different, different places. But he said to him, follow, follow me. If you are going to be a pastor, you have got to be submitted somewhere. But let's take a look at this. Three assignments Jesus gave. This is Jesus giving the assignments to Peter. First off, feed my lambs. Secondly, tend my sheep. Third, feed my sheep. In the feeding, when he as a pastor was going to be feeding the, the sheep, there must be food for the lambs and there must be food for the older sheep. Sometimes you get into some, some churches and pastors focus on one group or the other, not both. You need to be able to do both. You need to have some things tied in that feed the young people, the young, the young lambs. And other things that tie in that help feed those that have been walking with God for a while. And then he says that the middle thing is tend my sheep. These are three responsibilities. As a pastor, you are responsible to feed the young ones. You are responsible to tend the sheep or the whole flock. And third, to feed the sheep. Why doesn't he say tend the lambs? Because the lambs follow the sheep. If the sheep go somewhere, the lambs follow. Because they're attached. They need to know where mama is. And so they make sure mama goes this way. I'm going this way. We go where mama is going. So we don't have to mess with that. You, go, you govern, you tend the sheep. You'll have the, the lambs in, in play. But don't just let the lambs grow up on their own. Tend, uh, feed them. Make sure that they have food that's just there for them. Now we're going to compare this list. These three things. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So this is just a short thing out of Timothy. But here we have, first off he says, let the elders who rule well. That means that there are elders or pastors. Understand the setup of the New Testament church is such. It confuses a lot of people here today. But the setup is this. Timothy was over the church of Ephesus. But they don't have a place to meet. Because they had a falling out with the Jews. So they no longer met in the synagogue. And they had no big facility to meet everybody in. So the New Testament church, was they met in homes. And so what you would have is you would have a elder or a pastor over the church that would meet in this home. And all those elders or pastors would answer to Timothy. So when he's talking about the elders that are under him, he's talking about all those pastors who pastored home groups, home, uh, home fellowships. And he said, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So there is the ruling, which is the tending of the sheep. That's the ruling that, that goes on. 
and those who labor in the word and doctrine. There's the feeding. There's the teaching. So we have the same things in this that we had that Jesus gave. Let's go over to Acts chapter 20, verse 25. And indeed now I know, this is Paul speaking, indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of the God, of God. So this is the first thing he's talking about. He went about preaching the kingdom of God. That's feeding, isn't it? Will see my face no more. Therefore I testify you to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, he's fed them properly. He didn't just stay with certain things that they like to hear. He went over the full counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. That's the tending. That's the ruling. Shepherd the church of God. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul says, I know that when I'm removed, I'm not here anymore that there's going to be wolves they are going to seize the opportunity. Isn't it interesting? They didn't think they had the opportunity with Paul. There are people in the church today, they say, well, as long as pastor so-and-so or minister so-and-so is around, I can't go in there and act up this way, so I won't go. <laughs> because they'll call me on it. And so they won't do it. And so these people are sitting there in the church and they're saying, well, we can't step out and do this because Paul, he'll spot it. But Paul's saying this, I know as soon as I'm out of here, these folks are going to try and act up. Then you need to be ready and take them out. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. See, they don't want to spare the flock. They're not going to try and and, um, preserve anybody. So don't try and spare them. Also, among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. People, they don't have the call to be a pastor. They don't have a call to be a leader in the church or a five-fold ministry. But they're going to do the things to get people to come over and follow them. They're going to try and step into an office they do not have the gift, they do not have the grace for. Verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So he, this is the tending. He did. I, he took it seriously. When I tended that flock, I watched out. I looked out for what was going on. I kept my eye peeled night and day. I labored in prayer. I labored in warnings. I kept constantly letting you know, this is coming, this is coming. This is why those guys didn't feel like they could step out. Because Paul was watching them like a hawk. And as soon as they made a move, right over there, there's one. They couldn't get anywhere. Now, we're running through some of these things, but I want you to see all these lists. We just went through another list of all the things that he commanded the, the shepherds, the elders, to do. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. People want to preach other stuff. Don't preach other stuff. Preach the word. I've heard people say it, and I've been in a couple of places. Maybe you have, too. That you're better equipped if you brought a newspaper than a Bible. That's not good. Preach the word. That's what we're here to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. No matter, you stay ready. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
Now, some people like to get into the area of rebuke, but he didn't say just rebuke. He said, make sure you do it with long-suffering and teaching. Don't just rebuke him. Rebuke them with long-suffering and teaching. Don't just convince people. Convince them with long-suffering and teaching. Don't just exhort people. Exhort people with long-suffering and teaching. you got to have that teamed up. If you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be, and they got a role, really, you need to do this. But he's writing especially, Timothy, look, take this on. This is probably Paul's last letter. He's getting ready to die. So he wants to tell him some things. And of course, Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy was written because he wanted to know, how do I handle a growing church? 2 Timothy is written, how do I handle when everyone is deserting me? You see, there's persecution that came up. People were leaving. Paul, what do I do? For the time will come, verse 3, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who's the they he's talking about? The people that these elders must minister to. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is where people are going, he's saying. They're not going to endure sound teaching. I don't want that sound Bible stuff. I want things that's more this way. I want things that are more inclined to go this way. I want to hear this kind of word. And they're going to find people that will teach along what they, what they want to do. This is the thing that most people don't understand. And being in the ministry for as long as I have, I have seen this. Most people in the body of Christ, and I do not say that word accidentally. I'm saying this on purpose. Most people in the body of Christ, pastor themselves. That's why they have problems. They don't let the pastor that got put there pastor them. They pastor themselves. Now, that created a gap. Inside that gap came the shepherding movement where people went to the other side, the other extreme. And now the pastor is going to tell you who to marry, whether you should buy a car, whether you should leave a job. And they got involved in every aspect of your life. And that is not right. Now I heard, a, I heard, I didn't talk to him directly about it, but I know somebody who talked to, I think it was Bob Mumford, I think that was the guy's name who started the shepherding movement. And he even said, he said, it became something we didn't intend. They didn't intend for it to go that way. Well, that's that's uh, at least good to know, <laughs> but it sure went in the wrong direction, and a lot of abuse happened between those in ministry to those in the church, and that drove those people out. And they say, "This is what church is. I don't want this." So people got on both sides. Either you had a somebody who was a pastor who demanded that you do all these things, or people pastored themselves. We'll get into more into what that is, but you see, this is this refers to it. They decided, I don't need to hear that kind of teaching. I need to hear this kind of teaching. And so I'm going to find some people who will do this. And it's really easy to do that too now because you got YouTube and Facebook and you can just tune into whatever one you want. Tune into this one. You know what? I don't like this one. This is, I'm not bearing witness with this. <laughs> Turn that one off and go on over here. Mm-hmm. Verse 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
He said, but you, speaking to Timothy, be watchful in all things. How many times have we seen this aspect of the pastoral role? Be watchful. Watch out. Keep an eye out. There's wolves out there. They want to get in. Be watchful in these things. And if you are the enemy and the pastor is the one who's supposed to be watchful, who do you need to take out? Now, he doesn't just take them out by getting them out of ministry or doing other crazy stuff like that. We'll see what he does. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. When you do what God told you to do as a pastor, you are going to get people mad at you. You're going to have afflictions that come your way. Some of them will be people in the world. Some of them will be people in the church. But afflictions will come. He then says, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say be an evangelist. He said, do the work of one. So as a pastor, you still have to be mindful of reaching out there and getting unsaved people into the, into the church. Fulfill your ministry, he says. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We're just reading through these quick. I want you to see all the list and all the explanations that were given for what a pastor is supposed to do from a biblical standpoint. Verse 1, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promised, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe these things command and teach. So in this, we're once again, we're seeing things to be more uh, looking out for and teach. Take these principles and put them in. Don't go after the fables. Don't go after the, the crazy stuff. Stay with the things of God. And teach them. People are going to come after you for it. Stay with it. Titus 1, 5 and 16. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So the teaching aspect, again, is emphasized. We're not going over all the qualifications. We did enough on that last time. But holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. There, if you're going to become a pastor, you had to receive teaching. You ought to have been taught. And you need to hold fast to that teaching that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the, of the circumcision. There are many insubordinate. Insubordinate is not submitted. 
There are many people in the body of Christ, they pastor themselves. They are insubordinate. I'm not going to be under anybody. I just, I just answer to God. No, don't be doing that. I had one person who told me, uh, and they're, they're called to be a pastor, that they answered to God only. I said, well, you don't know what that ministry is about. They would find out. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Especially them Jewish people is what he's saying. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He's talking about his brethren. He says the people in his day that were of the Jewish mentality were the ones who came after Paul their greatest. They were the ones who were the biggest enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people who were Gentiles, they either liked it and believed or didn't like it and left it alone. But the Jews, if they didn't like it, they pursued him. They went after whatever city he went in. They came in there and they just fired everybody up. That's why he has this attitude. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Idle talkers, they talk a whole lot about nothing. And you get done and say, man, what in the world do we talk about? Nothing. And then there's deceivers. Where they're trying to deceive you into thinking something is true, something is right when it's not. Whose mouths must be stopped. <laughs> Who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. <coughs> He's quoting somebody. <laughs> this testimony is true. Then he gets after he quotes them. He says, yep, that's right. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. This is sometimes what's involved in the role of a pastor. Sometimes you have to rebuke somebody sharply. Sometimes you rebuke them gently. But if they don't respond gently, then you have to get in there and get a little a little more sharp. That they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. You see, people who have pure motives, they just see things in a pure way. But people that, that don't, they're defiled, they're unbelieving, they look at everything that way. That's why you, how people look at the world, how people look at the folks that are around them, tells you a whole lot about them. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. But as for you, verse 1, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Again, we're seeing teaching, rebuke, the, the tending of the sheep. Everything that we've seen in these lists goes right along with what Jesus taught them. Make sure that you feed the lambs. Make sure that you tend the flock or tend the, the sheep. And make sure that you feed the sheep. Those are the three things that Jesus said to focus on. And so far in all these lists, we've seen those lists somewhat expanded. But basically, everything that's expanded is just minor points off of these. First Peter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. As a pastor, 
You are not there to demand. You will not do this. You will do this. That is not your role. Your role is to set an example for them to follow. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. But you got to stay with it. Sometimes you set an example and people aren't following it and you get frustrated and you get discouraged and you just say, I'm just going to quit. Or I just go to the other side. I'm just going to demand people. I'm going to tell them what to do. But you got to lead by example, even though there are those who will not follow. Because that's what the Word of God says. Lead by example. Man's ways and just get tired of this and tell people what they should do. And that'll work for a little while. It'll, it may start out, right? Work out just fine. But after a bit, after you get started out in this way, it becomes corruptive because you've left God's way. God says, I need you, if you're going to be overseers, you need to lead by example. Jesus taught his disciples, if you are going to become great, you must become the servant of all. There's an example that needs to be there. Yeah, but people aren't following it and they need to get going. And so for a while, you get going on the right principles, but because you left the path that Jesus said to follow, that the word of God said to follow, it becomes corrupted and you begin to demand wrong things. So you got you to stay with what God says. So, the list stays the same. We have a few additional things. You can write some of these down if you want. I just gave you a blank space there. You can do whatever you want. Just listen or however. But first off, the few additions that we see are expansions of, of those three things that Jesus said. Stay with sound doctrine even though some people will not endure it. That goes right along what he, ta- what he taught about feeding the sheep and about feeding the lambs. Stay with the sound doctrine. There's people who are not going to like it. There's, there's churches out there that grow to very large sizes because they aren't preaching sound doctrine. They have preached something that is more acceptable in society. They are preaching something that is uh, what people want. But they're not preaching the sound doctrine. He says, I understand that people are going to get tired of the sound doctrine, but stay with it. Next, they will pick people to listen to who teach what they want, not what God speaks. And sometimes they're not going to pick you. That's all right. Stay with what God told you to do. Don't veer off of it. Stay with it. Another thing he said was endure afflictions. Afflictions were going to come, but you need to endure them. Do the work of an evangelist. Make sure you you keep your eyes outward. You need to be expanding. Be an example. So those are some extra things, but really we hadn't left that. So then I sat down and I began to compile this list. What are pastors expected to do in our society? If these are the duties that God gave pastors, what do many of the pastors end up doing? And so I wrote down some stuff. I just left a blank space there. You can write these in if you want to. You can leave it alone if you want to. Whatever you want to do. But here we go. Here are some of the things that pastors end up doing. First off, visits. Pastors go around visiting homes and visiting hospitals. Did we, in any of the lists that we saw, did you see that? Mm-hmm. Another thing they do, they make phone calls. Some pastors sit around, they sit on the phone all day. Making phone calls. Did you see that in the list? Well, they didn't have telephones. No, they didn't. But it didn't make the list. He didn't go over there and said, go over there and have private conversations with all as many people as you can. That wasn't in there. A third thing that pastors do, maintenance. 
Pastors have become plumbers, electricians, builders, contractors. Because <laughs> they have maintenance to do in the building. And you, when you need to, to get maintenance done, that's what you end up, end up doing. Way back when we first started the church, we had a couple of people in the church. This is way back. I don't think anybody's really here from, from them. But we were, we were starting some things. And we had to, you know, when we first moved in here, we had to get a, a, a network going. And uh, sometimes that network would have, into, uh, have problems. And so I learned early on, if you have a network problem, you need to get somebody on it right away who knows what they're doing. But most of the time, if you call somebody in church who knew it, they couldn't get there right away. So I learned how to network. <laughs> I didn't want to, but I did. So that if we had a problem that came up with that, I was able to, to fix some of that. Now, since then, other people have come in, and I don't do too much of the uh, networking stuff that happens, but I have to do, every once in a while do some. Here's the fourth one, rides. How many pastors are running around? I've seen this happen before, too, where pastors are going around before the church service, picking up people, bringing them out to church, and then after church, taking them all home. I've seen pastors do that. Now, what happens with that is, first off, the people that are supposed to be doing that aren't doing it, so they aren't growing. And the people who aren't supposed to be doing it are doing it, so they aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Counseling. In any of those lists, did you ever see any counseling? No, what you're supposed to do is put the Word of God into other people in the church, and they're supposed to go out there and, and help talk with, with people through this. Third, or the next one. One, two, three, four, five, six, one. I only wrote six things down here. You could probably keep on going. Helper. People who need help with something, who do they call? Pastor. Well, I'll call out the pastor. He's not doing anything anyway. <laughs> Isn't that right? I'll just call out the pastor. He'll come on over. He's probably just sitting around. Yeah, on the phone. <laughs> you see, if the enemy wants to get at a church, he must first distract the shepherd. If the, if the enemy was going to get at the church in Paul's day, he had to first off distract Paul. He had to get Paul's mind off of the church, off of the watching. Except he couldn't do that. Paul would not allow it. He stayed focused on it. He focused on watching and feeding. He ruled over the areas where he was at. He did not try and rule over those areas he was not. You remember a particular passage where Paul says that he's of the Antioch church? He said, I'm not of Jerusalem. And it almost sounds like, I'm, I don't know what those guys are doing down there. We're not a part of that. We're a part of this one. Because he came under Antioch. Antioch's when it sent him out and he was submitted to the Antioch church. Not the Jerusalem one. He said, them Jerusalem people, they're acting up. They're all into the law and all this other stuff. We're not into that sort of thing. And you can see that he had almost a division in there. I'm not getting into the things you're into. He was under, under this group over here. And he kept watch over them. He wasn't watching over the Jerusalem church. That wasn't his responsibility. But he watched over the church at Ephesus. He watched over the church at Corinth. He watched over the church at Philippi. He watched over the church at Thessalonica. And the list goes on. He watched over these churches because God had given him charge over this. 
and so that he would be he would be watching and if the devil wanted to get anything through he had to get through Paul and Paul raised up other people to watch on an even closer level around there and told and he would exhort them how many times do we see him exhort them watch keep a watch people are going to try and get in they're going to try and do this there's wolves out there don't be letting them in if the enemy wants to get at the church he must first distract the shepherd if the pastor won't do what God commands who will fill the void and what will become of the church if God has commanded, and we looked at all the passages in the Bible that exhort pastors to what they're supposed to do. And yet, if we go through in America and we say, how many churches, how many pastors fill that list first and foremost? And because they don't, things happen. The enemy is able to get in, wolves are able to get in. See, when a shepherd watches over a flock, he's got the, he gets himself in a position where he can see them all. And he can see the things that are approaching. And it kind of works like this. The pastor's role, I think I'll put this in your outline for you. Uh, somewhere in there. The prophet is the first line of God's alert and warning system. But the pastor is the first line of defense and growth. The pastor is over the flock. His role is he keeps an eye on that flock. He looks at what's approaching from the outside. He can sense dangers. He can say, the sheep over here are getting a little too close. Yo, sheep, come on. Come on over here. It's kind of like the lifeguard at the beach. How many like lifeguards at the beach? You should always make friends with lifeguards at the beach. Don't ever, don't ever antagonize them. You don't want to do that. You want to, you want to listen to them. Whenever we're in the water, a little girl is in the water with me, I always tell her, you know, we look back at the lifeguards. We watch them. If we hear a whistle, we turn back and we watch the lifeguards. Are you whistling at me? <laughs> and if they're, they're whistling at us, we just, I tell her, we just do what they say. If they say move, we move. You've got to teach them that submission that's there. We don't be, be in there and be obstinate. Now, there's enough examples of that around, and I would always use that as an example, people giving the lifeguard a hard time. See that? Don't do that. They have a different view of what's going on in the water than we do. And they're watching out for for things that are going to try and pull you out. You listen to them, you watch them because they're here to watch you. But the only way that they work is if I submit myself to them. If I say, well, I want to go out deeper, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> They'll still come save you, but they won't be happy about it. But they have a different perspective. They're, they're looking at, at things. The pastor is the first line of defense and growth in the body of Christ. That is the first line. But the prophet is God's alert and warning system. It's kind of like you have a, a, a sheep on the, on the side of a mountain and the pastures, he's up there at the top, he's looking over, and then all of a sudden here comes a prophet out of the woods. The wolves are coming! The wolves are coming! Ah, okay. See, he didn't see that. He wasn't out there that, that far. He's looking a little bit more uh, closer to what's going on with his sheepfold. And so the prophet comes in and announces because this is how God announces what's going on. He sends his prophets. He sends the word to the prophets. And so the prophets go out there and they, they do that. How many of you spent some more time this week going out there and finding some prophets to listen to? Oh, we're getting... See, we're not on that to a whole lot. A couple of people. All right. Don't back off. Go out there and still listen. And dude, I was listening to this one guy and I, I think it was a 20-minute 
uh, little YouTube thing that he had. And I got through about 10 minutes and shut him off and I'll never listen to him again. I don't know who it was. Don't come up and ask me who was it. I don't know. But he was going through and he was talking about the things and he said, this is what he said. He said, I hear people say that if you don't believe what a prophet says or if you don't pray, if you don't do certain things, that it's not going to happen. He says, that's garbage. He said, if God prophesied it, it's going to happen. I said, man, you don't read the word much, do you? And that's about all I needed to hear from him and he was off. Because that's just ignorance. But he's teaching it like he's authoritative on it. Now, I know that there are some things that God prophesies that we have no involvement with. I know that. There's places in the Word of God. He prophesied and said, this is how it's going to come about. And we had no involvement. in it. It's just going to happen. But we showed you examples in the Word where the prophecy came. And when they acted on the prophecy, then God started the deliverance. Remember Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Favorite chapter of everybody in the Old Testament. And we spent some time on that. Showed you why it didn't occur until then. And even though God didn't tell them what to do, it's still when they started doing what they did, it brought it about. There are some prophecies that go on that we must act in, an, in, in a, a believing way in order for it to go. There are some prophecies that need us to pray. If that wasn't the case, then Elijah came out and said, there will be no rain on the earth and he could have just gone. But the Word of God told us that he prayed fervently that it would not rain. Now, why did he have to pray fervently that it would not rain if the prophetic word said it's not going to rain? And then the prophetic word said it's going to rain. And then he went and prayed fervently that it would. And we had that in the Word of God. Seven times he said to the guy, go check, go check, go check, go check. Seven times he kept fervently praying. Why did he have to pray if just declaring it by the word of prophecy would have brought it about? That's just ignorance on that, on that person's part. And I don't know what he ever said after that. I didn't need to hear it. But anyway, the prophet is the first line of God's alert and warning system. If he's going to tell you about things that are to come that are good, if he's going to tell you about things that are to come that are bad, he's going to send them through his prophets. And many times we showed you in the Word of God again about how this was. He will sometimes send things through the prophets that the pastors, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, apostles don't know haven't seen and we showed you that in the scripture where it, where it occurred but it came to the prophets and then people developed some actions on it people want a pastor to do what they think they need and that will help them grow they reject the wisdom and the direction of God many churches will go out and they hire pastors only if they ditch the God assignments for the ones that that church has for them what kind of pastor are they getting if they are not first submitted to God, who called them? Now, we've told you many times over and over, I keep emphasizing with you, we do not run this church like a corporation. We are not a corporation. We are a church. In order to be set up for the 501c3, we had to set up some things as a corporation, but nowhere does it say we run it like that. We run it the way the Bible says to run it. My hands are not tied by any board. If God tells me to preach something, I come here and preach it to you. If God says to change something, I come in here and change it. He tells me some things to change change on, I don't always like them. <laughs> but he told me to change it. So I had to go and change it. But I liked it the way this would change it. Yes, sir. 
I like what Brother Keith said. I've quoted this many times. Brother Keith Moore, he said, I don't get to do things the way I want to do. Why should I do things the way you want to do? <laughs> There's wisdom in that. I'll tell you. But that's why we meet together as a church when we have our covered dish and we go over stuff. I go over stuff with you that I feel God's taking us in the direction of. Get your input. I don't have that input because I'm saying deciding yes or no. I have that input. It kind of tells me well, this is where we're at in the process. Well, God, if you want us to get there, then I have to do this, this, and this, this to get us, get us ready and get us there. And it helps us to be able to do that. I don't just come in and just say, well, this is what we're going to do. Now, sometimes God says, Steve, quit that. Yes, sir. And <laughs> we quit it. <laughs> and we'll do something that he, he says to do instead. But um, that's, that's something that we have to stay in, in tune for. What you have to do as, as a pastor is I have to stay in constant contact with him. The prophet has to stay in contact to hear the words of God and to reflect those words exactly as he got them. That's not my role. I have to get before God because God is going to warn me of things that are coming here. He doesn't warn me of things that are coming to another church down the road. He warns me about things that are coming here, and I prepare you for it. If I listen to what God tells me, then I have you taught properly on a topic before anybody comes in and tries to sow something wrong. Then by the time they get here and sow that wrong stuff, you all say, What? And there's no, there's no soil for it. And they eventually move on and they go someplace else. Because there wasn't... But see, if I don't listen to God, if I don't spend the time before God and, and find out and get the warning from God, and God says, watch out, this is coming. All right. And we get, get it ready. It doesn't do as much good to just rebuke the false things when they come. You have to also prepare the ground and let people know. You see, if you prepare the ground, then people have what the Word of God says. Not what Pastor Steve says. If they have what the Word of God says on the topic, then when what is foreign comes in, they say, no, that doesn't jive with what I know in the Word of God. And they outright reject it. And if enough people, person comes in, they try and sow this, and it doesn't, doesn't fit, they just go off somewhere else. See, that's my job. That is my role. If something gets in the church that's not supposed to be here, God doesn't look to you, he looks to me. Why did you let that in? Because that's one of my main roles is to intending the sheep to guard, to watch over, to look out for. Now, in order for that to work, there has to be a submission. Remember we told you about that movie? Anybody go out and watch that movie? I didn't watch it, so I'm... <laughs> Movie The Bodyguard. He's trying to be a bodyguard to a person who does not want to be bodyguarded. <laughs> she, she's, she's doing everything she can to subvert his efforts to do that. You see, that's what people do in the church anymore. They don't, they don't submit to a pastor. They listen to him. Oh, that was a good word. It's a good word. All right, well, I'll take that one. No, I don't think the pastor was on today. No, I... That just didn't jive with my spirit. I'm not sure what was going on with him this week, but I just don't think he was there. Brother Hagen had that happen one time with uh, a church he was at. And this woman came out. I, I think he was just, it wasn't a church he was pastoring that. I think it was just a church that he went into to, to minister it. And this woman came up to him and said, now you keep your eye on me. 
And it went something along like this. David Ingalls wrote about it in a song, so I sometimes I have the song over top of what it actually happened. But he said, you keep your eye on me. As long as I'm rocking, then you're, you're, you're under the anointing. Uh-huh. As long as she sat in her chair and she's rocking back and forth. Yep, yep, yep. If she stopped, well, the anointing just left. There are people in the body of Christ out there that do this sort of thing. And they did it to him. I don't know how many years ago that was. <laughs> Can you imagine going up to Brother Hagin and doing that? He wasn't quite as well known back then. And, you know, the people had took some, some boldness, I guess, with that. But that's what she said. It's a, if I'm not rocking, as David Ingalls put in a song, if I'm not rocking, you're off the beam. <laughs> that's what she did. So there's people out there that will do this. They pastor themselves. They decide... Well, I know the pastor said that I should be reading the chapter a day, but yeah, I really don't have time for that. I know the pastor said that I should go out and I should listen to some other prophets and, and hear what's going on, but I'm, not, I'm just not in the prophets. Well, I know the pastor posted up that, uh, that teaching on Facebook and talked about it in church and told me that I really need to go up there and see it, but you know, I, I just don't want to. See, we pastor ourselves. Now, when I was a, when I sat under a pastor for a number of years when I was over there at Ramah, and I continued to sit under, under that pastor after I left Ramah, Ramah always asked us this question on our, on our forms that we fill in for them. They said, regardless of what your position is, what your ministry position is, who is your pastor? And for the longest time, I wrote in one name until he retired from being pastor, and then I had to find someone else. So I wrote to Rick Renner. I said, Rick, would you consider... <laughs> allowing me to, to uh, uh, see you as my, my pastor. You know, he, he saw that I cursed some, some roles. So uh, he didn't do it directly. He did it through somebody else. They said, well, no one's ever asked him that before. But he'll consider it. And so uh, he considered it, I think, for about a week. And then they wrote back and says, uh, he considered it. He said, no, it's just not really where God's leading him right now. I said, okay, appreciate it. So I went over there and got somebody else. Now, see, when I sit under that, there's a, there's a bit of a challenge because there's a, there's a distance that's there and there's a somewhat limited in some of the things that can be done, but uh, I still, uh, I listen to every single one of the sermons. I listen to the Sunday sermon. I listen to the Friday night sermon. I make sure it's a top priority in me to, to make sure I listen to it. I take the field of, of study that he's leading the church in and I go in that field of study. I make sure that I do that. If he says, you ought to do this, I go out there and I do it. I practice submission I don't just preach it. I have to practice it as well. See, if, if in the church, if you're going to receive from a pastor, there has to be a level of submission. Submission is never tested until you're asked to do something you don't want to do. See, submission is not agreement. If submission were agreement, it'd be easy. But it's not. Submission is, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's something that I need but I will submit to it and do it anyway. And that's a hard thing to do for some people. But if you will, if you will submit to the five-fold ministry that God put in, the gifts, then the purpose that Ephesians chapter 4 will occur in your life. And you will no longer be children tossed to and fro about with every wind of doctrine. The reason that most people are tossed to and about with every wind of doctrine is because there is no submission to anything but themselves. And they may say it's just between me and God. No, it's not, because if God told you something, you'd reject it. 
if you didn't agree with it. Because that's how you practice. That's how you go. Now, the person that I was under the, as a pastor for a long time, understand it wasn't all peaches and cream. It wasn't all real nice. Wasn't everything that come up roses. I saw the guy as arrogant. And he was. And I talked with some of the staff that was there, and boy, did they have a hard time with him. He was downright nasty at times. And I just wondered, I, I didn't say this to him, why would you stay? <laughs> and sometimes you forget the, good, the, the bad things in acceptance of the good things. And there was one time when, um, when I had just been totally wore out in ministry, uh, being an assistant pastor and doing some things. I said, I just need to get myself recharged. So where else better to go? I went back out to Tulsa for a year, went on out there and to, to do things. And so I went back to the, to the same church I was at, got under the same pastor and thought, well, I'll just get involved in the church. And so I started to uh, go through some of the classes to get myself ready. And as I was going through some of the classes, I began to see some of the things. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy is rude, obnoxious, and arrogant. Why do I want to sit under that? That'll just wear me down. I came from some of that. I, that'll just wear me down some more. So I immediately withdrew from, the, from all that, and I just sat in. He was a great teacher. I enjoyed the teaching. And it helped teach me a lot of things that I didn't, I didn't know. And when he would teach me stuff, I'd go out there and I'd, I'd take those things, I'd study them out. I'd get them down. But we have to, there has to be a submission. I don't always agree with everything. When Brother Hagin would, would get up there and teach in school, he would teach some things and he'd say, well, this is the way this is. And I said, boy, I wish you would teach on that. Because I don't see it that way. But I never went around and said, well, Brother Hagin's wrong on this. Never did that. I just said, I don't know what he knows. That's how I was. I don't know what he knows. I wish I did know what he knows. But I don't know what he knows. <laughs> so I just kept on going. Now, I think just about every single one of those situations where I didn't agree with him, I came along and, uh, and got on his side. I, I finally found out some things and learned some stuff. But here, I'm just finishing off your outline for you here. As the prophet is the first line of God's alert and warning system, the pastor is the first line of defense and growth. The pastor must, there are three things here that has to happen. The pastor must lead and teach for the purpose of growth. The pastor must lead and teach for the purpose of growth, not just knowledge of the word. One of the things you will notice that we have done for decades in this church is that we always end things with what am I supposed to do with what I just learned? What am I supposed to do? Because if you don't know what you're supposed to do, what good is it for you? It is, you're not going to grow by growing in knowledge alone. I have to grow in wisdom. And wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. So the pastor must lead and teach for the purpose of growth. And I don't mean just growth general. I mean growth for you. I seek after God. God, what are we getting into next? What do we need to do? How do we need to take this thing on? And I have to find out what he has to say about it. The pastor must, second thing, watch for dangers and make defensive preparations. That is on the pastor. Watch for dangers and make defensive preparations. The third thing. Spend time with the over-shepherd to receive wisdom and direction in these purposes. 
Too often pastors are pulled from these things in line with other stuff to do other things. Other things that the body of Christ is supposed to be equipped to do, but doesn't do. Thereby the body of Christ isn't growing, and the body of Christ is not being nurtured in all the things it needs to be nurtured in. The enemy will always try and get pastors to focus on something other than what God gave them. How many passages of scripture do we have in their total? Was it about six? Six different passages, all talking about the pastoral ministry, and all are in the same line. And yet most pastors don't do what's in the Word on a regular basis. A lot of times pastors pull out their stuff on Saturday night. Some pastors actually get outlines. 52 sermons. Buy them at the beginning of the year, they pull out the one for the Sunday. And they read it over, and then they preach it. How are you supposed to grow with that? It's like growing on frozen dinners. Frozen dinners are not where all the nutrition is. And make it you buy here and there, but that's not where the nutrition is. There's, we've been, I've been here for so long, no intention to go anyplace else. <laughs> not trying to say that to preface anything, but been here for, for, for so long that after 30-some years, it's hard not to teach the same thing. You know, there isn't much Bible left. I pretty much taught everything that there is to teach on the Bible. I pretty much been in every passage of Scripture that there is. We took on Ezekiel. You took on something I didn't want to take on. <laughs> you had to do that. But every time that we go back, we just went back over Jude. I don't go back and, and just, well, what did I teach before? Let's go teach it all again. No, I pick up all the books. I go back and break it all down, tear it all apart, let God speak to me about it, meditate on it all through the week. Let God speak to me. What's going on? What's happening here? He'll send me over to look at this. Because I expect that I've grown, so I ought to be able to understand more. And you've grown, so we ought to be getting into it even deeper than we did before. Because nothing ought to be cookie cutter. And say, I know that's my priority. So I make sure that throughout the week, my time is spent to hear from God as to what to feed, to know how to rule, to know what kind of things to, to do, to keep watch, to know what's coming. And when something comes, I don't get panicked. I don't get fearful. All right, God, if you're showing me this is coming, then you've got a plan how to take care of this. And he'll show me the plan what to take care of. That's the role of the pastor. If you are going to receive from that role, the degree to which you are submitted will be the degree to which you receive. Same thing with God. The degree to which we are submitted to God is the degree to which we can receive. In the Old Testament, who was the most used person? To me, one man, one man jumps out. The most used of anyone in the Old Testament was Moses. And the word of God says of Moses, he was the most humble of all men. He said he led by example. He spent time in the presence of God to find out what dangers are around. What do we need to do about them? He made sure he, he took the people where God told him to take them. He made sure he had that time with God. When he got 
often to spending all that time listening to everybody's cases and all the things. And Jethro said, knock it off. <laughs> you wear yourself out, you wear the people out. And he did. And he got all the people in there and, and they started doing it. Well, I didn't expect to go for another more week, but we still have one more week on this because there's some things I couldn't quite get under this one. This is, this is an area I want to, want to go to. How do people who are not really pastors and their call or qualifications become pastors? How does that happen? Why are there divisions that come up in churches and splits and etc.? We're going to show you some of that from the Word of God, why that happens. And um, well, some other stuff I, I can't give you the heads up on because I have to wait till we get there. But we won't just spend one more week on the, on the role of the pastor. It's important that you, that you understand because I want you to glean everything that you need to glean. If there is not a submission, there isn't, there won't be the victory. Remember the, uh, the centurion when he came to Jesus? He said, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word. For I too am a man under authority. I say this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. You just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I marvel. I have not seen such great faith, not in all Israel. What was so marvelous about his faith? He understood submission. He understood that Jesus didn't do great things because he had great power. He did great things because he was greatly submitted. Great power comes from submission to a great authority. The more I learn to submit to my God, the more I learn to submit to what he said in his word, the more I learn to submit to the fivefold ministry gifts that he's put in the body of Christ for my benefit, the more I will grow. The reason that most Christians don't grow is because most churches don't teach them to expect this kind of submission. And most people think that, uh, well, the only reason you're teaching that, you all want us just to, to do this, that, or the other thing. And folks, you are, you are the best body. Of, I couldn't ask for a better body than you all are. I love being here. I don't teach any of this stuff to you because we, you know, all need to get in line. But the degree to which God can bless you is the degree to which you are submitted. The degree to which God can bless me is the degree to which I am submitted. It doesn't change for me at all. But there's, a, there's, a, there's one key. Oh, I tell you what, I just, I just want to spit it out right now, but I can't. There is one huge key that if you can understand this one key, you will understand a false pastor from a true pastor. I'll show you this one key next week. You see this one thing, and it will, you, you'll be able to tell that's a false pastor. And there are false pastors out there. There are false prophets out there. There are false whatever it is that God has created. The devil will get a false one out there. He will get a counterfeit. He will get something to mimic it. He will get something to lessen it. But that does not negate the fact that the real stuff is out there and that you need it. If God said you need it, if God put it in the body of Christ because you need it, then I'm going to get the best I can out of it. Pastor, I'm under right now. I don't like everything he teaches. There are sometimes he gets off on something. I said, no, not this again. Why do you always get... He does. He constantly gets off on it. I don't understand why he keeps getting off. Every, it seems like every other message, he gets into this one truth. And the guy is phenomenal looking at the context of Scripture, except in this one area. Hit this one area. He leaves the context. He takes half the verse. 
doesn't even preach the other half, takes half the verse, comes out with a conclusion that you cannot possibly come out with. But you see, I submit. I understand that's not quite right, but that doesn't mean that he's wrong. He's a pastor, and he's the one I put myself under. And so I sit there and say, all right, we're going to listen to this. We're going to keep on going. I've had that with other people too. You know, they, t- they teach something. I had my, the one pastor I grew up in for so many years, many, many years. He would always teach them this, these things with, with Paul. And every time he teach them, I say, that's not right. That's not right. Now I know it's not right. But that still didn't give me a, a reason. You all don't agree with me on everything. I know that. That's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me one bit. I don't agree with you on that. Okay. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with it. It does not bother me at all. Just make sure that you do your own thinking and you're standing on Scripture and not something else. Stand on Scripture. I may say, well, you're standing on the wrong Scripture. I may think that. But unless you ask me for it, I probably won't tell you. But if you ask me for it, I'll, I'll let you know. And if you still want to believe the way that you're believing, it's fine. It doesn't bother me. Just because you don't see everything the way that I see it, just because I don't see everything the way somebody else sees, doesn't mean we can't be submitted. There's nothing to do with that. But you see, I had to stay under some people who, who taught something that I didn't see until sometimes I came along, oh, now I see that. Ah, yes. Now I see it. But Brother Hagen. There were a number of, I mentioned, mentioned this, there was a number of different things that I didn't agree on when I first went to school there. And some of those fell off. I said, well, but after I graduated, there were still a number of different areas. I don't really agree with them on this, and I don't really agree with them on this. I will let you know that every single area I did not agree with him on, I changed. Every single one. Now, I didn't just agree to it because, well, it's Brother Hagin teaching, I'm just going to go along with it. No, I waited until I saw it in the Word of God. But it never caused me to rebel if Brother Hagin gave us an assignment, if he told us to do something, he's told us to do stuff here. He says, as pastors, you ought to do this. I still do it. Because he told me to. I look at some of the Raymond people that are around and uh, some of the things they're doing. I said, Brother Hagin, I know he didn't teach you to do that. I know he taught you to go against that. But here they are. So there's a, there's a lack of submission there. So I could not agree and still submit. I made sure that I kept doing that. But you all are wonderful people. I love be- I look forward to being here with y'all <laughs> on Sunday. It's the, one of the highlights of my week. Now I get to look forward to being on, here on Wednesday with the people that are here. You guys are, are just fantastic to be around. I, I enjoy that thoroughly. But whatever I can do to help you to understand how to grow in it even more, I'm going to do so. So we're going to spend one more week on this. And then we have some other uh, ministry gifts to get into. And to look at the apostles, pretty close. We're not, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on apostles because a lot of it's the same thing as it's in a pastor, just a little bit of an expanded role. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you for the gifts that you have put in the body of Christ. They are here for each one of us. Even if we are in the fivefold ministry, we still benefit from the fivefold ministry gifts that you have given. We still benefit when everyone in the body of Christ does what their part is and operates with the grace that they have been given.
Father, we're here for the body to grow, not just me. The temptation is for us to pastor ourselves and to decide what I need and what I don't. But you saw differently about that. I thank you for the call that you put on my life, but that you also gave me the grace to fulfill it. Ever humbled by that calling. Ever humbled by the people that you put in this body to build it up. People that serve. People that give their all and everything that they do. I thank you for them. I thank you that this is just a taste of what we have going on when we move on to the next kingdom. I thank you for the love of God that's here in this place. It's here for those that are here to serve each other. I thank you that we grow. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. How many of you spent time this week praying Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3? All right. If you didn't, go on out there and, and, and do that. The prayers in Ephesians chapter 1, we went over the Ephesians 1 prayer last Sunday. I posted the Ephesians 3 prayer on the Facebook page during the middle, middle part of the week. Just pray that. You can just keep on praying it. Pray it. Put your name in there where it says you. Put your name in there. Put, put me. Put I in there. Put all those things in. want to let you all know. Um, I, gave, I was trying to get an update from the announcement I put in the bulletin.